helping to challenge those beliefs and to help them understand that there are valid common sense reasons to buy insurance. Fundamentally, when you look at insurance coverage, you're looking to buy protection against risk. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration so you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We are your hosts, Leo Sabo and David Thompson. And on this episode of Getting Money Right, we're again being joined by our friend, Harry Stout. Harry is a returning guest. We've had him on a couple of times. He's an author of a book, a couple of books, The Financial Verves. And recently, he has written a book in that series on totals, sorry, on today's life insurance, a protection tool for your future, which we'll discuss during this session. In our prior podcast, we spoke about the need to have a personal financial safety net in place. And today we will drill down on one part of creating your personal financial safety net, and that's on insurance coverage. Make sure you have that in place. Harry, thank you again for being with us today. Oh, Leo, I'm very, very, very much appreciative to be on your program. First off, as we begin this topic, uh, when you bring up the subject of buying insurance, most people's eyes glaze over. <laughs> and, and, and in fact, most folks believe that insurance isn't a priority in their life, and it's either a luxury or a waste of money. And what if they take the time to listen to our program today, I'm hoping to challenge those beliefs and to help them understand that there are valid common sense reasons to buy insurance. And fundamentally, when you look at insurance coverage, you're looking to buy protection against risk. And we've talked about risk in, in so many of our programs, but I, I have seven key risks that I think I've identified in my books and, and in my uh, posts that I talk to people about. Let me just highlight them for you real quick and, let, and think about each of them as I go through. First off, it's disability risk. And that's the risk of becoming physically or mentally disabled and not able to continue to work. That's a major issue for people. They lose their income. Secondly, is property damage risk. That's the risk of having your property damaged by accident, by another person, or an act of God, such as a hurricane. Third risk is health insurance, and that's the, the health risk. That's the risk of becoming ill and not having the money to pay the bills, and that's a significant one. Now, for so many older Americans today, they're coming to the reality that they need money to pay for long-term care costs, and that's the, to me, that's the health, the health insurance elephant in the room. That's a big risk that people need to plan against. The fourth risk is premature death, and that means you die too soon, and, and what, what that means is you die before you've earned the money and had the savings to be able to put away to provide the needs of your family, for your loved ones. And so by dying too soon, you just don't have the cash to be able to invest in those items. The next risk is one that you can't get insurance against, but I believe is a big one. It's called debt risk. And we've, we've talked so much about it. I know you all talk about it in your podcasts. It, it, to me, it's the risk of accumulating or relying too much on debt for instance, using debt to pay for your monthly living expenses, which you should not be doing, and then locking into very high, very cost-effective, you know, very costly debt. Uh, 
I am of the opinion that there are certain good forms of debt that you can use. I believe in mortgages, for instance, college education, you may need to get a student loan, but you have to be able to pay the debt service. You got to pay those back comfortably within your cash budget. The next risk I've identified is liability risk. And in our digital world, this is really important today, I believe. And that's the risk where you physically, emotionally, or professionally injure another person and you have to pay the money. A court rules that you've and somehow slandered them. You've done something negative to them that you have to pay. So having liability coverage is in place. It, it plays a number of different places. Now, the last risk is longevity risk. And longevity risk is a huge one in the sense that uh, many of us are lucky today. We, we have won the genetic jackpot and we're going to live long lives. We're going to be able to, in my family, most of my family lives into their 90s. I've kind of planned for that. I know that. But um, that's the great news. But the, the, the not so great news is I've got to fund that longer life expectancy. Where do I get the cash to do that? And so you really have to plan in your life to protect against this longevity risk by putting cash away to be able to pay for your living expenses as you age and as you age into these uh, 80s and 90s. So overall, seven big financial risks. And again, for me, as I look at this, the good news is you can buy insurance coverage to protect against all or a part of these risks. And uh, that's something that you really ought to look at to protect yourself and your family. Yeah, that's great, Harry. So disability, property damage, health risks, premature death, um, debt, the excessive debt accumulation, liability, uh, things that you may not even realize um, you could be liable for, and you've never even thought through. We live in a fairly litigious society, so liability is a big one. Uh, they're all big. And then longevity, again, something that people just often don't think about. Uh, we really are blessed, like you said, Harry, to be able to live in a society where it is very likely that we will have long lives but that comes with an understanding that we need to plan and we need to have a long-term plan in place because we're going to live for a long time. So Harry, these are seven big risks. These are things that people probably think about a handful of them, but don't think about all of them. You know, in your day-to-day, -day, you're kind of walking through life. You're trying to build a budget. You're trying to take care of your kids. You're trying to make sure your career is moving forward. How do you explain the need to people so that they're actually going to act and, and either put coverage in place or shift their attitudes, their mindset, their finances to help cover these risks. You know, David, I, th I think what you've got to do is, first of all, sit down and talk about what the common sense benefits are of insurance and help educate people. Again, people are not educated about insurance coverages. In particular, they're not educated about life insurance. I, I'll, I'll share some of that with you later. But most folks don't really understand insurance coverages and how they work, but I have some common sense, re uh, if you will, benefits that are there that people should you know, look at. And the first one is insurance provides cash for future delivery when you need it most. Simple. If I die prematurely, my life insurance policy pays off. That money goes to my beneficiaries. It's there to cover the needs that I've planned for. So cash for future delivery is the first. Second, and it sounds pretty simple, is cash flow certainty you know cash is going to be there when that automobile accident takes place or the fire takes place in your home and you need to rebuild it. 
cash flow certainty, really important. Another common sense benefit, if you will, is the fact that you can protect your spending potential. I've, I've, I've heard this talked about more recently in this light. People buy annuity products to get lifetime income in their, their older years. But people don't like lifetime income. What they do like is lifetime spending potential. They want to have the cash coming in to pay the bills. And that's what you can get. Common sense benefit, lifetime spending potential. You can get also protection from various maladies, just the pure protection of health insurance, disability insurance. It's there for you. Another common sense benefit is insurance coverages many times will help you qualify for the loan. Uh, the landlord won't let you in unless you have renter's insurance. The, um, you, you may need to have fire insurance in place to secure the mortgage on the, your personal residence that you purchase. If you have a business, a variety of different business coverages are there. So that's common sense. You're going to need it, but, it, but it's there to help you. Some soft issues, and David commented on these a little bit earlier. The soft issues are by putting insurance coverages in place, you know and your family unit knows that they have financial security. Mom and dad have put life insurance coverage in place. If something happens to either one, we can stay in our home. We're going to have money to, to keep our lifestyle. I'm going to keep my friends. And, and those are really, it's really an important thing to do. Financial security is really, really key. And with that, you as the steward of your home, of your family, whatever the family unit is, you have psychological peace of mind knowing that you've taken care of your financial responsibilities. You've put that personal financial safety net, you've put your protections in place to protect your family. And there are some other benefits that are common sense also that I think people don't think about. One of which is insurance can create some long-term savings habits for you and your family. If you buy cash value life insurance, you pay premiums over 10, 20 years, those policies accumulate cash in them. That, that's savings for you. And that's really forced savings, but it's really a long-term saving habit that's really good. So if you will, these are just some of the common sense benefits that provide protections for people and their dependents from life's uncertainties. That's a lot of great information. And I, I, as I'm listening and watching through each one of these as you're, as you're going through them, I realize how so often people are not opposed to them but they're slow in actually taking action to actually do them. One of my friends, one of my very good friends, about eight years ago was in a motorcycle accident and he became paralyzed from the chest down. Prior to this accident, he, was, he had just renewed his health care plan insurance at work. And as he was filling out the form for his health care, he just checked off everything. Disability check, you know, every, you know life insurance check, everything. That's not something that he was used to doing, but he did it. But the result was that because of that insurance, he was able to, and he and his wife are both able to live on the disability insurance, uh, and, and they're fine. They didn't have to sell their home. They, their lifestyle didn't change. Obviously, his life is now different. Uh, there's a new normal for him, and he's not in the same job, obviously. But the financial side was protected, and I cannot tell you how beneficial uh, that was for them because I mean there's enough to deal with with having to change your life in that manner and then everybody else that you love and is you know in your family is impacted by that but yet the financial side was taken care of so that's one of those things that I think many people are like ah I don't need that it's an extra three four dollars ten dollars a month whatever it is but yet people don't do it so here's the problem that I see you've written a book and it's a great book I believe everything you've covered I'm, I'm right there with you but you've written a book that 
most people um, try to avoid talking about or even dealing with. So why write a book um, that people will ignore to a degree? What are you hoping to accomplish? Well, you know, Leo, I've spent 20 years of my life, my professional life in the life insurance business, and I believe that the pe people fundamentally just don't understand life insurance products. Mm. And, and once they do, they can find ways to use them in their life. And, um, and think about it for a second. As we lead our lives day to day, uh, we have to buy insurance for a variety of things, right? We have health insurance, car insurance, contents for our apartments, or we, we, we buy fire insurance to protect our homes. We do so because in most cases, those coverages are mandatory. We have no choice, right? The bank, the landlord, another lender, another party requires us to buy that coverage. Now, when you look at life insurance, buying life insurance is a voluntary act. And Leo, I'm going to talk to you a little bit later about some of these um, procrastinations and other things that go on. But remember, buying life insurance is a voluntary act. It's something you have to do. You have to do based on your individual needs and circumstances. No one's going to force you to buy it. No one's going to, you know, no one's going to say you, you know, it's, it's not going to happen. So you really need to change it. And in fact, in our society, people haven't made it a priority. Now, there's an annual study that comes out from the group Life, ha Life Happens, which is a consumer education organization in the life insurance space, and it's sponsored with Edward Jones. So it's Edward Jones and Life Happens. And they, they basically go into great detail as to people's understandings of financial products and services. And it comes out every year. It's a wonderful study, by the way. But one of the highlights there is that in that study, 81% of Americans say their most valuable asset is their family. So, and we would all agree with that. We see it as in our day-to-day -day lives. On the other hand, less than half of those people, only 41% have an individual life insurance policy in place protecting their families. Mm. Uh, so, you know, there's a disconnect here, right? And I think the key thing here is it's just not a priority for people. And um, when you look at it, life insurance can provide needed risk protection for an affordable price. So uh, it's, it's interesting about the procrastination and so on. So you'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. That's great, Harry. It's, it's funny because you said nobody ever tells you, you have to go buy life insurance. And, and right now today, that's changing. Leo, David, and Harry today, we are saying to our listeners, you need life insurance. And, and it's tricky because it's not for you. It's for your family. It's for the people that you love. It's for what happens if something happens to you. Uh, and if you're married, your spouse needs life insurance. And that technically is for you and for uh, your kids, your future kids, your extended family, uh, you do need to have this in place. Now, there are different circumstances, and we're going to talk about those and, and where you need it and where you might not need it in different seasons of life. But but wow, um, here from three, and I don't want to you know toot our own horn or be prideful, but from three experts in the field, you need life insurance. You need to protect the people that you love. Um, because we know you love the people in your life and it's important to protect them. So, um, Harry, what are some of the other reasons that prevent people from buying life insurance and the protection that they need? Well, let's go back. And I'm going to go back to something uh, I think that, uh, that Leo said. When you, when you take a look at procrastination, one of the things that changes that in people's lives 
is if a triggering event takes place. And what the, and, and the research shows this, a triggering event is the birth of a child, getting married, reaching an age milestone, say turning 40. If they're diagnosed with a serious illness and have come to grips, you know, come to grips with their own, immorta- their own mortality, if you will, or, and this, I've seen this happen a lot, where someone has had a close friend pass away or a family member pass away unexpectedly, people then are more inclined to then consider the purchase of life insurance. And in fact, uh, recently, as, as some of this was published, as a result of the pandemic, there's been a 30% increase in life insurance applications wow. as people have sought to protect their families. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think procrastination is a really a significant issue here and uh, a significant issue indeed. And the thing about today's life insurance products too is they're different than yesteryears. And, and we'll, we'll again, highlight a couple of these things, but just one major thing that's happened is living benefits. Life insurance policies have certain benefits that pay out even if you don't die. And and they're simple, but they're good protections that you need to have in place. So there's a lot that that's there and um, but procrastination key key issue. Mm, Yeah. Well, we would definitely agree with you on that one. So you always talk about the financial risks and the need to protect against them. So what are the key risks life insurance protects against? Leo, when you look at it, you purchase life insurance to protect against or you know, eliminate or mitigate certain key financial risks. And they're included, obviously, premature death, longevity, and their life insurance has provisions that can help you offset disability risk and also unexpected health costs. And today's life insurance can provide funds to address each of these risks with one product for one premium. And I think that's different than the old forms of life insurance that are out there. So you've got a combination of benefits available in one product that can address a lot of these needs. That's, it's really interesting to see how the life insurance industry has changed over the years. And I'm not an expert in it. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited that we're talking about this. When I look at the insurance industry as a whole, and I took a risk management course in college, I was in business school, and it was one of the most eye-opening, it was one of the coolest classes that I took. And I know that sounds funny because a lot of people think risk management, how is that interesting? But I remember being blown away and actually spent about five years um, as, a, as a vendor to some of the insurance companies on the forensic engineering side. It's a totally unique, far off conversation, but but I got to see how, how insurance companies work as a vendor supporting them with forensic engineering services. And the engineering industry is, or the, the, the insurance industry as a whole is very competitive in pricing. This is something that I found to be really interesting. Like the amount of money that you actually pay for the service that you're going to be receiving is almost, you know, to the penny uh, within maybe five pennies of what the actual benefit you'll receive is. This is staggering to me. And in fact, a lot of insurance companies in, in the broader sense, they actually don't make money on the premiums they charge you. They make money by having everybody pay premiums and then having that money set aside to invest and to, to do different financial things with. So the reason I bring this up is, is that the actual cost of insurance is very competitive. Uh, it's that you're not being ripped off in what you're buying. Uh, when we talk about transferring risk, this is a big deal because I personally, David Thompson, 
can't handle a $200,000 health expense today. That's not in my budget, but I can transfer the risk with, with health insurance. And Leo's talked about this being self-employed, you know, finding a product that will transfer those giant risks to an insurance company or to a risk pool. So this is where I'm interested in, in the life insurance side. And we're going to dig more into this, but I, I want to encourage our audience. There can be this fear that because it's an insurance company or because there's a bad reputation because they have a lot of money and it's a big, big corporation, it's like they must be ripping us off. Actually being a part of the industry, and I was a little bit on the side, but being a part of the industry, I was blown away. Like what you're paying for, you're actually getting almost the full benefit of. Uh, you do have to you know, pay the, the person that is helping to facilitate some of these things. But even that, uh, it comes from some other revenue sources for these insurance companies. So so in your book, and we can dig into that more in a minute, David, but it, yeah. David, David, can I add one thing there? Yeah, add I, some. I, I ran uh, several large, as the CEO of several large uh, life insurance companies in the U.S., and I think what people forget is these are fully regulated businesses. Yeah. yeah. And almost every aspect of your operation is really subject to regulatory review and constraint. And you're managing a regulated business. And the overall approach of the U.S. life insurance industry, for example, is to be, to be managed for policyholders so you can pay those claims when they come due mm -hmm. or, or pay the annuity benefits or pay the lifetime income. So it's a very regulated, it's a large industry, but it's very regulated. And I think people need to remember that. And the returns, if you were to, if we were to do a stock market analysis of the returns of these companies, you would find that the returns are low in comparison to other industries, significantly lower, but mm -hmm. that's what you expect. Be able to earn a consistent profit over a number of years to be able to pay the benefits that they do. So I think people forget that a little bit, but uh, this is not a get rich quick industry. Right, right. You're not going to do this, not with the regulation that you have to put up with. Yeah. And insurance companies aren't out there to rip people off. I mean, they're really not. They're there to help provide a coverage and a transfer of risk opportunity to people. And so I, I just think that's interesting. I think it's an important framing for a lot of people as they think about insurance. You can watch the news or you can hear different opinion pieces that would attack an insurance company. And I just want, I just want to say, like, I'm not mad at insurance companies. They, they are doing I, – I, I buy multiple forms of insurance and I'm grateful for it uh, for all the reasons that, that Harry listed above. Um, now, that being said – uh, I've got multiple forms of insurance, but Harry, in your book, you also describe why a person might not buy coverage. Like why shouldn't they buy coverage in different seasons of life or depending on different circumstances? So could you highlight that for our audience? Absolutely, David. When you look at it again, you're buying life insurance coverage to deliver cash in a future situation when you need it. If your family is blessed and you have significant resources, you have cash, you have investments, and you can pay for these future costs out of cash, you may not need in life insurance coverage at all. Now, other stories you'll hear young people say, well, I, I'm not married. I don't, I, I'm not married. I, I don't need coverage. I, I don't really have any real dependence. But on the other hand, if I had the opportunity, I'd like to leave money to my alma mater. I'd like to leave some money to my church. And I care about these four environmental causes. And I, I, I'd I know that they could use some cash if something happened to me. And so we, what we find is we see more and more people getting coverage. And as a beneficiary of those coverages, they're making those charities, those religious organizations, the academic organizations be uh, the beneficiary of that. So again, you don't, 
You don't buy coverage unless you need it. If you have no risk to cover, why do you need insurance? But uh, you need to, I think, have a, a really explicit conversation with someone to make sure that is the case. And that, you know, you really need to reach out to a financial professional to do that. Mm-hmm. That's really good. I sometimes run across people that I'm coaching uh, in their personal finances where they have too much insurance, if that's that could be. But uh, sometimes, you know, it's multiple, multi-million dollar policies and they have one child, <laughs> you know, and I think, well, does your child really need $8 million uh, to survive? Probably not. So, and, and some people have this mindset. I, I've run across this, unfortunately, where they do look at it in an unhealthy, unproductive way. They think about, I'm going to make my family rich by dying. First of all, that's a bit morbid in my opinion. I don't know why people would think that way, but it's really, there's no risk there to cover it, or you're overcovering something that you only really need maybe a few hundred thousand dollars to cover. So there is a potential to buy too much insurance. I've seen this uh, and, I, and I love your advice. You really need to talk to somebody and understand what insurance is for, what a reasonable cost is for the risk that you're covering and not overbuy. There's really no reason to to overspend money on that. You could use the money for other better reasons while you're still alive. So I think that's a better way to use it. So in your book, you're also discussing the hidden benefits of life insurance. Let's talk about that. What are these benefits and why haven't we or people discovered about them? Well, when you look at the research, Leo, you'll be you'll be shocked. Let me let me give you just three hidden benefits of life insurance. And when I tell you those, you're going to say, "What? I, I mean, I, I don't understand how these are hidden, but they are." The first is the fact that say you buy a three hundred thousand dollar life insurance policy, and um, you die, your your beneficiaries are going to re- that you've designated will receive that three hundred thousand dollars, but there's no income tax due on that 300,000. That 300,000 goes directly to those beneficiaries. And if you look at the research, the the last research that I looked at, 58% of Americans don't realize that the death benefit is not taxable. They think it's taxable. Well, it's not. And by the way, I can tell you other countries around the world where it is, but in the US it's not. And so that's that's, that's number one, you're gonna get tax-free money. I think the second hidden benefit is what's gone on in the last 10 years, and that has to do with living benefits, benefits that are paid to the beneficiary while you're still alive. One great one or one one that pops up really significantly is a critical illness benefit. And many policies today have what are what's called a critical illness rider. And if, for instance, you are diagnosed with stage four cancer of some sort, I'm, I'm giving a hypothetical example, that policy will pay a certain benefit based on that illness. Now, you may need that money to take care of yourself while you're ill, um, but there are benefits that are there to help you. So living benefits, I think, is a, a major change, a major upgrade that we've seen in the market that's there. And the third item, and this is uh, one I think that's so important to people, is the fact that the cash that accumulates in a life insurance policy, if you buy cash value life insurance, the cash that accumulates, you can use that for whatever purpose you need. Now, there are rules about how you can access it, but many people, for instance, they've had a policy for 10 years that's accumulated an amount of cash. If there's a financial emergency in their home, they need a roof on their home. They could take a withdrawal. For many people today, they're using life insurance, the cash that's accumulated in policies to take out uh, and create tax-free supplemental income in retirement using what are called loans from the policy. So you can loan, you can take loans from the policy that you don't have to repay that create 
a stream of tax-free supplemental retirement income. So that's just three. Death benefits, no income tax, living benefits that are in the policies, and the fact that you can use the cash that's in those policies for whatever reason you have. There are no restrictions. You don't have to use it on medical costs. You don't have to use it on a specific matter. You have the freedom to use it. So it's an asset that you can tap and use subject to the provisions of the policy. But there's a number of these. Uh, and I can tell you from my own, and I'm an older gentleman, I have structured life insurance to pay me in a tax-free supplemental income in retirement. It's one of the things that I've done. And I'm, it's amazing as I talk to people, so many of my friends have not. But I can tell you more and more people are. But those are just three benefits that you, you've you got that. Yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm interested in, uh, and we're not going to go into a, a big conversation on, on whole life and, and digging into that too much. But I'm, I'm interested in, you know, we've highlighted a few areas where somebody wouldn't buy insurance. Um, th- th- this life insurance, they say, hey, I might not need it for these reasons in this season of life. Uh, but how would you recommend whole life as a general product or, or some of these variations of whole life insurance where cash value builds up and uh, whether it can be invest, invested or whether it, um, you know, is based on a flat curve. You know, what, what does this look like? But I guess my question would be, would you say this is something in your opinion that everyone should have uh, regardless of income and season of life? Or are there certain income ranges where all of a sudden it triggers something in your mind that, Hey, if somebody earns $50,000 a year, um, I, I, maybe I wouldn't start just yet. Or when they hit a hundred thousand dollars a year, I'm like, wow, you better, you better be looking at these types of products because of the long-term tax planning benefits. And I know we can't go into all the details, but are there some triggers in your mind of different, different incomes and lifestyle phases where this might be more important or less important? Well, David, I thank you for asking a question with about 427 different answers. Yeah. But let, let, let me help you a little bit. I think one of the things, um, what someone purchases in terms of coverage and the types of policies they buy are really subject to their own personal financial situation. They need to sit down with a licensed life insurance agent and take a look at the particulars in their life. What I talk about in my book, and I'll, I'll answer your question in, in a roundabout way, but I'll get you where you need to be, I think. I think, first of all, you need to sit down and talk about and understand how much protection you need and at what stage in your life. Um, for instance, even though you're an older person, you, if you're a senior, you still need life insurance coverage. You typically are going to need burial coverage. You may need coverage, for instance, to pay for any final expenses that you have. If you're a young person and you say you have a young family for that, maybe the next 15 years, you need maximum coverage for that 15 years until your children are grown. So within that conversation, there are a mix of permanent life insurance policies, just like cash value whole life, and term insurance that can be put together to get you the protection plan that, that you need. So in my book, what I talk about is having the right mix of policies. So I, I can't very well say that this always is the case or that always is the case. Life insurance is a tool. And how you use that tool will depend on your financial needs and circumstances. Now, I can tell you from my own personal experience, I've had cash value life ins- whole life insurance uh, since I was a young, uh, my family was young, and that's been a significant benefit to me, and that's been a foundation. I also had term insurance during the course of my years growing up. I'm, I'm I had maximum uh, risk for my children, their college educations, and so on. 
that coverage lapsed after they graduated. I, I lapsed it after they finished their college. I didn't need it any longer. So for every person, you need to sit down and figure out what that protection spectrum looks like, how much you need, when you need it. And then you and your insurance agent can figure out what mix of policies are best for that particular need. Because you've got you know, term insurance, you have whole, whole life insurance, you've got indexed life insurance, you have universal life, you've got a variety of different products that can meet the need. That's great. Uh, I do believe um, one thing that you said needs to really uh, communicate clearly to audience, which is you don't have to be an insurance expert. You do know what your needs are, you know what your risks are, or you potentially might not know all of your risks. So this is why you would want to connect with a professional. That's what they do. They have the ability to both educate you, to let you know how to mitigate and how to reduce your risk with the proper policies and what mix of policies you need. But I think it's really important for people to understand this is something that you need to do for yourself. This is not something that uh, you have to do, and we have to change our mindset. I remember when I was young, we didn't have, at least where I grew up, we didn't have mandatory auto insurance. So when I first started driving, I didn't have insurance. I got into a wreck. My car got totaled. I lost all that, that money because I didn't have insurance. Later on, when they made it mandatory, I was a bit upset because like, oh, I have to buy insurance. But after the accident, I had a different mindset. So my point is, we need to consider the fact that this is something that's for us and for our family, that if we can reduce the risk, plug up those holes in that bucket we talked about, then we are better financially for it. Um, and we can be at ease knowing that we have peace in our finances because it's not just the cash flow and the income and the job and all those things that's providing that. It's the ability to cover most of the risk. And today we're blessed to have the ability to have that through uh, our insurance policies that are available to us. So, Harry, how would you summarize our session today? Well, I think the, the key question people have is why buy insurance coverage? And the reason you buy it is that you have financial risks in your life that you can cost effectively address by buying insurance. And the thing about insurance is it's contractual. It, it offers guaranteed benefits and you're buying it to protect yourself against life's uncertainties. And how better, how, you know, we can't have a better example than today's, you know, pandemic influenced world. There's uncertainties all over the place. Anything you can do to make your life more certain and with less financial risk is something I believe you should consider. Well, thank you, Harry, for joining us. And I'm actually on your website right now, thefinancialverse.com or just financialverse.com. And I love the way that you've framed the entire financial conversation, looking at, at this universe of personal finance and calling it The Financial Verse. Uh, I love the series of books that you're working on. Uh, the first book, The Financial Verse, and looking at a common sense approach for your money. And then now, as you've just released, today, today's life insurance, a protection tool for your future. I'm excited about the future books that you're writing, this, this overall plan that you've got to encompass uh, financial understanding. I would recommend everybody check out financialverse.com. Uh, check out where you can buy the books. They're super inexpensive. The information that you get is incredible. Uh, I, I'm looking at it, you know, $16.95 for each one of these books. And that's if you buy the physical print version, which I recommend. Uh, I recommend you get a highlighter and you go through these. Uh, I tend to do that even on vacation. I'll just grab a financial book and go through and highlight. Uh, that's what I, my wife thinks I'm crazy, but that's what I do to relax. And then um, you can get the ebook version, you know, for $7.99. So this information is so 
um, inexpensive in comparison to the value that you get and the broad based knowledge. And if you just read one chapter a day, uh, and you do, I, I love that spend to spend two hours, uh, you know, going through and bettering your education that breaks down to 17 minutes a day. If you spend 17 minutes a day reading one chapter of one of these books, and then you continue through the series as Harry continues to write and build these out, uh, a, it's going to look really great on your bookshelf. That's important to me because each one of these books looks the same, feels the same, but has a different color that pops. And so I think that's kind of cool on your bookshelf. And then anybody can come and check out the podcast that you've been on. Uh, you know, you're here as a guest on Getting Money Right. We're so grateful for your time. But you've also been on a number of other really cool podcasts, uh, Money Savage, HR.com, Inspired Money, Moolah Law. I mean, there are tons of great financial podcasters out there that will help educate. And so I love that you've been on those. Check out his resources page and his um, spend two page of more resources where you can spend 17 minutes a day or a total of two hours just growing in your personal finance. Is there anything else that you'd like to highlight today, Harry, and just kind of point people towards as resources? No, David, thank you so much. What I've tried to do with my books, and in particular, the new book on today's life insurance, is to really provide the information necessary for someone to feel comfortable to go talk to a financial financial professional. So I've tried to just lay it out very nicely for people to understand. And that's what we try to do with all of our content. We really, uh, if you will, talk to people versus speak at them. And we try to provide them with common sense information, facts, and resources that they can use to get better educated. So that's what we do. Again, if they could just go to financialverse.com, they can find out more. That's wonderful. Uh, well, I want to say thank you to those of you who are listening. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you'd like to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast, either on Apple podcast or just about any podcast tool out there, uh, wherever you're listening, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button. If you're on Apple, give it five stars. If you feel comfortable and you believe we've earned it. Uh, and if you enjoy what you're hearing, uh, I would say put it out on social media, you know, send this on Facebook, Instagram, uh, just take a screenshot of what you're listening to and post it. To gain access to the show notes, uh, financial tools, and other relevant content, you can visit leosabo.com. And Leo, would you point people anywhere else to, to contact you and reach out? No, I think you'll find out what I'm passionate about and what I offer and how I might be able to help you at leosabo.com. I love it. And then you can come over to my website, stewardshippastors.com to spend more time with me. You can check out the book, Jesus on Money, and some of the resources that are there to help churches teach biblical financial stewardship to their congregations. And I just want to say thanks again. We hope that you'll join us next time so that together we, we can, can keep, keep getting, getting money right. right. fundamentally just don't understand life insurance products and and once they do they can find ways to use them in their life mm -hmm.